It's time for Sex Talk with Lou. Lou Paget on Toginet. So, have you ever wondered if you're normal or why you feel distant from your partner? Why they keep doing that? Want to recreate a truly connected relationship? Or wondered, how do I tell my partner or kids about things? Then this is your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Lou Paget is a certified sex educator, an international best-selling author, and not only will Lou and her guests discuss the most current research, they will put you at the head of the class on good, solid, scientifically-based information and how it will impact you and your family. Known for delivering information about sexuality and relationships sans the sleaze factor while retaining all the accuracy, fun, and the you're kidding factor. Let's get to it. Sex Talk with Lou on Toginet. And now here's your host, Lou Paget. Welcome to 2016. And so what I decided I was going to do for the show today is talk about orgasms, talk about the frequency of sex, because I read something from a, a friend of mine. She happens to be in uh, an ashram in India right now, and from her guru, there was something that he made a comment on uh, over the weekend that to me was like, wow. And it was from an energetic Vedic standpoint what his suggestions were. So for all of you, I trust you had an awesome and lovely holiday, that you had a lovely New Year's, however you celebrated it. Mine was very quiet, and I was just in the bank on the 31st, and there was a gentleman uh, who was taking care of my deposit, and he said he was so excited because his daughter was going to be uh, is a choreographer, and he said, I know it's going to be a late night, but he said, I'm just, I'm just so happy. And the really sweet thing about that is that he was so proud of his daughter. So let's kick off 2016 with the right way. For those of you, and as a friend of mine said, enough of this thing about resolution. Let's get results, okay? Results in the area of what you want in your life, what you want in your relationship. And... <clears throat> I'm going to start off today with a comment that a colleague of mine by the name of Anna Randall, and she is a therapist and was cited for, uh, used as an expert in, I think it was the Huffington Post that they, they uh, used her information, but she was talking about how Bill Cosby is trying to use uh, uh, sonomophilia, meaning uh, someone who has a fetish of having sex with someone who's asleep, or as they would call it, the sleeping beauty issue. And I don't know why it is that whenever there's something that people, you know, there's someone does something wrong in the area of, you know, what their behavior is, particularly if it involves sexuality, that they always try and come up with pathologize it and say that it's something else that made them do it. So his defense is trying to say that he actually, you know, this is, it was consensual and these women were uh, within his realm of what he was doing for his fetish. 
Now, let me just clear something up here. A fetish is the thing that turns you on. So if you have a leather fetish, it's the leather. If you have a shoe fetish or paraphilia, it is the shoe. But the important thing about it is it doesn't become a disorder until there's something about it that is upsetting to you or you've crossed boundaries and it's upsetting to other people. So what the defense is trying to state, as I understand from Anna's comments, is that they're trying to say that with these women it was consensual and he actually was agreeing. They actually were agreeing to go along with his, you know, his fantasy thing of what he wanted to do. Well, let's just really go back and look at this for a moment. Yes, he may have been giving them quaaludes, and he may have been giving them, I think it was another, um, the, what's, let me just see if I can find this here, quaaludes and uh, uh, cough medicine. And, but the important thing about it is that if, you know, these other women are saying, you know, they got drugged. So let's be honest here and say and that, you know, this is the man's behavior and he can't be using that type of excuse as saying that it was consensual and, you know, they were falling in with, you know, his thing that he likes to have sleep. You know, the ne- ne- next thing, you know, someone's going to come up and say, oh, well, uh, you know, my paraphilia is or or my fetishes, I want to have, you know, sex with dead people, which we know there are some people that think that's interesting. That's a little unwell. But I just think that it's, people will use, you know, this is an issue of consent. It is not an issue of a sexual fantasy or a sexual uh, fetish. And it's not something, for, for these women, this is, you know, you know, as, as, you know, Anna Randall said, you know, if we were to say that every college kid who has sex with a drunk girl is a somnophiliac, that would be a pretty big stretch, Randall says, or that everyone, everybody who drugs somebody in the bar with a roofie is a somnophiliac. We'd have an awful lot of somnophilia around. And in fact, you know, somnophilia is a very rare in clinical practice. It's not one of the top 10 fetishes. So, Ultimately, this is uh, an issue of consent. So that was one of my things that I looked at in the news today. The other, um, I thought that what I would talk about is this comment that a friend of mine made, and I'm going to go to, this is my friend, her name is um, Maya Nisman, I'm going to massacre this, Uh, Maya Anisnanata. Anyways, it's uh, she was previously Megan Busha, and who she is is this friend of mine who is in. So it's Na Ma Nitya Maya Intatanda. There we go. Excellent. So she, her guru. This is this thing about how much you should have, how often you should have sex, and he says that when you are the, here's, I'm going to read this to you so that I don't mess it up here. If your New Year's resolution is to find love, here we go. If your New Year's resolution, or let's, let's put it the way where we want to talk about it. If your New Year's result and things you want in 2016 is to find love, read the advice from an enlightened being first. 
The greatness of sexuality is that it will disappear. The greatness of sexual energy is that it will disappear the moment the physical and mental structures feel connected and the awareness overlaps. All these magazines go on giving inspiration and tips to keep your sex life alive. These magazines for middle-aged people advertise how to keep your sex life alive, 10 tips, 20 tips, 30 tips. Nothing will work. Nothing will work because of two things. The first possibility is that the distance between two people becomes too much. Well, I've certainly seen that one. And the awareness component of both the physical structures not feeling connected to each other or the awareness component of both the mental structures not feeling connected to each other. This is what happens to 90% of marriages. And I have to tell you, I would agree that there is a good percentage of marriages that they, you know, they're there for a period of time, but they're not going to last for forever, mainly because people choose based on the wrong person or it is for a period of time to have children. I, I know people who are fabulous as parents, but to remain together as partners, mm, not great. So he continues on. In just 10% of marriages, the two really experience their awareness overlapping each other's awareness. Even though the sex disappears, such a beautiful communion happens. Only for 11 years of the married life should sex be there. When the overlapping of the awareness happens, then you will see, then you will just see that you don't need to confirm through the sexual act that you love each other. Suddenly, the necessity is not there. Simply sitting together is something extraordinary. Sex is like a liquid, fluid. It can freeze and become cold like ice, or it can evaporate like steam. If it becomes cold, frozen, you are caught in the icebox. You are also frozen. If it evaporates like steam, your consciousness is levitated, and your whole system evolves into enlightenment. That is why, in the Vedic tradition, in the marriage ceremony, there is a unique Ashriva-shanda, a blessing. The Ashriva-shanda says, by the 11th year of marriage, let both of you become like mother and son, like father and daughter. And the person who said this is uh, Sri Nithyanda Swami. And this is a gentleman who is known in India as a very enlightened being. Uh, at events, he is and he's highly spiritual, highly intuitive, and literally, my girlfriend has gone over there and is now there, you know, on visas to be with this gentleman. And you know, I think this is a wonderful thing that I can carry forward for people who are very happy in their relationships. And yet there isn't sex, but they are deeply committed to one another. They love one another, yet there isn't the feeling that they must always be sexual. And if we were to look at who came up with the idea that you have to have sex X number of times per week or or whenever, I think we'll go right back to discovering it is based on men saying this is what we want. It is not talking about people looking at 
an elevated consciousness. It isn't necessarily talking to women, and particularly if a woman has just had a child or is hugely busy. At a wedding on uh, Saturday, three women at our table, one seven months, eight months, ten months, and they're all like, whoa, they just can't, I can't even go there to think about sexuality. When we come back, I'm going to be talking about orgasms and more of the comments of Sri Nisnayanda. Take care, and I will be right back. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more sex talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Welcome to TogiNet, cutting-edge radio. United States with quality programming. This is Tokinet Radio. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your business on Philippa Rollins presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Welcome back. Um, uh, we were talking about the um, Vedic marriage of have sex in a relationship in a marriage for 11 years. Um, now, I wonder, I'm going to find out from, I will send a note to Nithya, my friend, and if this applies to 11 years of a relationship period or because some marriages end and then people get into other long-term relationships. So I'm going to have to send her a little quick little query and say, okay, girl, tell me the details. Now, one of the things I happened to read uh, actually just this morning was something, uh, some colleagues of mine, uh, but specifically Dr. Beverly Whipple, that it's, a, an, it's in the, her book, uh, along with Komisarich, uh, Nezer Zayada, and Bear Flores, on what causes blue balls. And I remember doing an MTV segment, and it was on, Do Blue Balls Exist? And the, um, 
one of the things that, it, and, and it was a really hilarious segment, but one of the things, and, and actually I'm, I'm happy to see that there is a gentleman in here who's, who is a 70-year-old retired college professor in the 1940s, uh, that in 1940s a practice, practicing physician taught him and his fellow eighth graders about sexuality, including lover's nuts. The doctor told them that masturbation was at times a legitimate medical treatment. They continued, in no way should the pain of blue balls be an excuse to inappropriately advance a sexual relationship. That thing of, you gave me blue balls, you have to take care of it. Uh, I don't think so, Lamb Chop. I think you can take care of it yourself. And that was what I said in my uh, MTV segment. But and the thing they write in here is, and if treatment is rendered, are there appropriate diagnostic and treatment codes for billing purposes? Isn't that funny? Imagine writing down there, um, blue balls. I'm billing X amount for talking to someone about blue balls. That's funny. But and it, truly what would happen is because physicians, and here's something that, again, is an issue that I find. Physicians don't get taught anything about sexuality and sexual function. The majority of them do not. In the same way, the majority of them do not get taught anything about nutrition. And if we were to borrow from, I believe it's Hippocrates, that food, you know, let medicine be thy food, then we need to do a review of what is happening on how people are being taught or told how to take care of their physical health. Anyway, to go back to the blue balls comment, uh, what causes it, and because for most men, they'll know that it's usually as a result of extended uh, stimulation and no orgasmic relief. Well, you know, a similar thing can happen to women, and sometimes they'll say, oh, it's because of blood or because of something else. Well, for women, the same thing will happen, where if they are being stimulated but never you know, get to an orgasmic release, they will also have like sort of a dull ache and pain pelvically. Now, for men, here's how <clears throat> this one uh, particular uh, person wrote. He is a, the, the person uh, was an engineer, and in a subsequent commentary on the dialogue, they, they concluded with the, here's, here's the, the professor said, they concluded that indeed blue balls are real and a cure is coming. Cute. But here's what a gentleman by the name of L.N. Ludovici had to say about this. He said, I have had a vasectomy, and I notice that I no longer get blue balls with prolonged sexual excitement if there's no release by ejaculation. Instead, I feel pain along the path of the vas deferens down to the point where it is sealed off. Now, the vas deferens is the tube out of the testicles that is cut and it's the one that carries the initial part. It carries the sperm. Because the majority of the ejaculate does not come from the testicles. It comes from the um, Cowper's gland, from the uh, prostate, and I'm going to run it. I'm going to drawing a blank for a second on the third one, which is the majority of it comes from seminal vesicles. There we go. Those three areas. So... Those are the three that that's where the majority of the ejaculate is. So that's the fluid. The actual sperm component is carried along the vas deferens with some fluid, but the majority of it that sends it out, that point of no return, comes from the seminal vesicles, the prostate, and the Cowper's gland. So this was his 
comment is that uh, indeed, so where the vas deferens, so that's where he could feel it, to where it was sealed off. Indeed, with palpation of the vas deferens, it feels swollen. If blue balls were caused by blood engorgement in the testicles, I would still get it since the vasectomy did not cut the blood vessels. I conclude that blue balls is not caused by blood engorgement, but by seminal fluid engorgement. I theorize that since the fraction of seminal fluid that is produced outside of the testicles has nowhere to go, it backs down the vas deferens into the normally connected testes and swells the whole system up to the point of pain. And the conclusion here is, until someone undertakes a more serious analysis of blue ball syndrome, it is most likely to remain controversial and a much-discussed phenomenon. Now, one of the things they write in here is that Dr. Joycelyn Elders suggested that masturbation be taught in schools. That is not what she said. What she said is that it is a normal, physical thing that children do and and things like this should be taught in school. Because what we see ongoingly is that kids don't know about their bodies. I mean, I relate the, the story of a young man who was at, uh, he had been masturbating, and he wasn't very old. He was probably about six or seven. And he ran downstairs, he had a, you know, uh, an erection, and he said to his mom, now he's the youngest of nine, and he said to his mom, 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 look, look, what is this, what is this? And his mother said, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be okay. You know, she's the mother of, you know, six boys and three girls. And then she took him to the doctor, and thankfully, thankfully, this was a doctor who did not go sideways and say, well, what were you doing and why were you doing that? I mean, babies masturbate in utero. Seriously, they do. And one of the ways that uh, a someone who is doing... Um, uh, sonograms will will tell you whether or not uh, an ultrasound that this is a boy is that if the hands are between the legs, chances are it's a boy. And any mother with a little baby boy knows that you'll often find him, you know, with his hand down the front of his diaper. So the talking about the naturalness and the normalness of this, fortunately that doctor said to him, you know, were you, you know, were you touching yourself and were you playing with yourself? And he said, yeah, and he said, you're going to be okay. It's totally normal. Thank goodness, because, I mean, I can't begin to tell you how many people have been so shamed by what they, what happened and what their natural, you know, sexual curiosity was as a child with an adult or with, you know, someone else. So one of the other things that I was looking at, I, I just turned away here for a second, is the just going over four people at the beginning of the year about your orgasms, the number of different types of orgasms that you are capable of having. And I wrote about this in my book, um, Orgasms, uh, The Big O, How to Have Them, Give Them, and Keep Them Coming. And actually, the, the big thing about orgasms is that they often change. They're kind of like seasons, and it really depends on how hot your connection is with someone, how um, turned on you are, no kidding. It is oxygen and blood that fire and create. They're the power sources for orgasms. And then the other thing is, is are you getting stimulated the right way? I talked uh, 
last year. It seems so funny to say that. Four, four days ago was last year. And this woman, I believe it was a Cosmo article, and she was trying a new remote uh, vibrator with an old boyfriend of hers. Now, she had happened to try the vibe herself with the remote, and she knew she knew exactly which you know, uh, vibration was the one that worked for her. She sent him the remote so that he could do this, you know, he was in another city. And what ended up happening is, yes, it was exciting, but because he wasn't there with her, he couldn't get the right amount of stimulation for her. So that's what often, that's why for many people, some of their best orgasms are with masturbation. It's not with a partner. And we really, you know, if we're talking about the things that really bring people the amount of pleasure and joy, if we're talking about results, fine. But if we're talking about if the only quest is to have an orgasm, it's usually easiest if you do it by yourself. But yet when we look at the pressure that we put on ourselves and one another and our partners to create that for us when we don't really often have, for, for, for many people, they don't have a range of ideas of what might work for them. They're kind of like, they learned one way and that was that. But I want people, I want people to have a 2016 that has a greater expanded experience of what intimacy and sexuality is. Because as we know, it changes depending on where you are in your life circumstances. It depends based on what your hormones are doing, women and men. depends on how much stress you're under. depends on how busy you are. And, I mean, you can be in a very happy stress situation, and yet you still have absolutely no libido. Many couples on their wedding night do not have sex. And the reason they don't is they are freaking exhausted. And the wedding I was at on Saturday, I mean, 350 people and they had had a huge party the night before for 200 people for the Vietnamese uh, celebration. Then they had the Western wedding the next night for 350 people, and it has been a whirlwind for them. So I can only imagine they probably were just exhausted. But the real thing here is people want to be with people. And I think it's an interesting thing to give validation that What we really want is to have that spiritual connection, the energetic connection, and to have someone who just gets us. And that's why for many people, they team up with someone who is on a like-mindedness of where they are in their life, the success level, the looks level, whatever it may be. Then those things are not the important thing. What is important is that the person likes them. When we come back, I'm going to be talking more about orgasms and how to have a pleasure-filled 2016, because I think... This 
to Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet. With your host, Lou Paget. techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Are you looking for something more in your life or business? More success? More stability? More happiness? It's all out there waiting for you, but it doesn't just happen. You've got to go get it. Make it happen with Michelle McCullough, where motivation and strategy intersect. Michelle is a serial entrepreneur, acclaimed speaker, and the WooHoo Radio Network's resident business and success strategist. Michelle has the smart strategies and experience to help you improve your life and take your business to the next level. You've got big dreams. You've got big vision. Now it's time for you to make it happen. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Have you ever wondered what happens in your body when you exercise? Discovery Health explains that the muscles provide the strength, power, and endurance to do the movements and exercises. Enzymes within the muscles mobilize various fuels to provide ATP to meet the energy demands of the working muscle. The heart and the blood vessels increase the blood flow to deliver more oxygen to the working muscles. And the lungs increase the rate of breathing to deliver more oxygen to the muscle. The more often you exercise, the more conditioned you become. On the other hand, lack of training causes them to atrophy. So don't settle for being a couch potato. It's time to get your body moving. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everybody. You know, whenever I get asked in an interview, um, how often, you know, what's the, what's the average number of times people have sex a week and, or a month or whenever it is? And my response is always exactly the same. I said, I'm not going to, I said, I choose not to answer that question. And people go, well, why? And I said, because first, it's just someone's opinion of what they think should be happening. But more importantly, if someone says to someone, oh, people should be having sex once or twice a week, someone's going to get beaten up because someone's going to take that information, turn to a partner and go, see, didn't I tell you? And that for me is just, that's mean. That's not, that there's, that, to me that serves no purpose. I do apologize. Emergency vehicles going flying by. So I thought I'd look at some of the questions that were sent in to Beverly Whipple and her colleagues. And one of them is, we get asked this fairly regularly for those of us who are sex educators, certified sex educators through ASEC, is do orgasms reduce stress? Well, yeah, there is a lot of research that orgasms and sexual activity can reduce stress. And, you know, there was a study they're citing here of, 2,600, approximately 2,600 women found that 39% of those who masturbated reported to do so to relax. And when a person experiences orgasm, we know that the hormone oxytocin is released, 
from the hypothalamus, from the nerve cells in the hypothalamus, that's an area of the brain, into the bloodstream. And low levels of oxytocin in the blood are correlated with relatively high incidence of tension and anxiety disorders. <laughs> so rather than taking, you know, a, uh, something to, you know, pop a pill to calm yourself, go and play with yourself. Maybe that's the, I think, a, a highly more practical and much better for your entire system solution. And so, anyway, they're saying here that the low levels of oxytocin in the blood are correlated with a higher incidence of uh, tension and anxiety disorders, where, whereas higher levels are correlated with reduced responsiveness to stress. Um, so now, in addition to the physiological role of orgasms in reducing stress, there's also obviously the uh, relational side of things. If you enjoy your partner, you enjoy the pleasure that you g- can give one another, that, you know, they, uh, the quality of the relationship goes up. However, they do also note here that if uh, individuals attempt to stimulate orgasms specifically to achieve relaxation afterwards, this may place the partners under more performance pressure. And there are times where people, you know, have said to me, do we have to have orgasms together? And because they want to try and have uh, a multiple orgasms or they want to have a simultaneous orgasm. Well, I have to tell you, not very many people have simultaneous orgasms unless they are using a vibrator for one of the partners and that or for both partners. So because our orgasmic response pattern is often very unique just to one person. So now, there's also, uh, you know, if it reduces stress, if you have someone has been in an abusive relationship or has been forced to orgasm in um, a sexual assault, obviously that can download some very stressful reaction to uh, orgasms rather than providing, you know, uh, a form of release. So, and if people who have had, and if someone has had something like that happen, I do suggest uh, go to find a good sex therapist. A therapist, generally speaking, can be helpful for certain things, but a sex therapist is going to be the person that you really want to be with. Now, here's the other one that I uh, will often be asked: Can you die? You know, can you die while you're in the saddle? You know, translation: Can you die while having sex? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's what's the what was there's um. Goldie Hawn was in that movie Private Benjamin. Was it Private Benjamin? I'm trying to think. Where she ends up going into the army as a result of her husband dying on top of her during sex on their honeymoon. And remember what what they have found. It was like, and they're they're citing here that when Nelson uh, Rockefeller, when Vice President Nelson Rockefeller died of a heart attack during a sexual encounter in a hotel with a much younger woman, you know, people wanted to know about death in the saddle. Well, there's, of the sudden death, in one study of 5,559 cases of sudden death in men, fewer than 20 deaths occurred during a sexual act. And invariably, if the deceased man dies in the middle of, you know, dies in the saddle, it is invariably after a big meal with alcohol and with a non-spouse in 
unfamiliar surroundings. So in other words, the guy is fooling around and there isn't so he's got the stress of the fooling around, he's got the stress of the food in his body, uh, and who knows, you know, what other things may be going on. But if one were to do the calculations of 5,559 cases of sudden death, there's 20 of that, mm, that's a pretty tiny number for, and invariably what they have found is that of the 20 deaths, um, they occur during uh, extramarital affairs. That that I've known for a long time. So <clears throat> really it, it boils down to if you're going to die in the saddle, chances are no. However, if you know if you go to a medical heart expert, they will, they will usually recommend a gradual return to sexual exertion. If you saw the Jack Nicholson uh, show with Diane Keaton, was it not as good as it gets? Something about is that all there is or whatever it is. Anyway, here's the guy. He has the heart attack, and they put him on the painkiller, they put him on, pardon me, on um, uh, his heart medications. Then he has a stress in a reaction. He thinks he's having a heart attack, but he's not. But the big thing that the doctor said to him is that, you know, if you, when you want to get back into the saddle, the thing to do is make sure that you can climb some flights of stairs. Because the amount of exertion for most men that, you know, occurs is that, you know, it isn't having, you know, it isn't hours and hours of activity. It's, you know, you can reduce, there's cardiac habilitation and exercise training that can reduce the incidence of chest pain, or as they call it, angina pectoris, during sexual activity. So the recommendation for anyone who has heart issues is start slowly, and then, you know, if there's, you know, do, you know, mutual play, whatever, and then go back to intercourse. And, you know, that's, you know, you would do that with anything that you're dealing with. Another question, can orgasms cause headaches? Well, I happen to know for a fact, I remember one gentleman I knew, and it would be just before orgasm, he would get these blinding um, headaches that, and, and so for what they would do is, this person did not happen to suffer from migraines, but it would last for, you know, minutes to an hour for him. And even having the orgasm did not have it, you know, abate. So, you know, they they don't really, it may be that that's an increase in the uh, temporary increase in blood vessel pressure, but they're not really sure is that exactly what has caused it, okay? So there are, you know, relief can be given to it, and the same thing that they give to some people for migraine headaches, and they call it triptanes. But the, you know, the type of headache of this, and what the person did is they basically stopped having sex. Now, um, if they're experiencing such severe headaches, the suggestion is that the individual should see a doctor to rule out possibility of aneurysm or a burst blood vessel. But the other type, you know, it, it may just be that, and for this person, they eventually did go away. Um, we talked about this. And the does prostate surgery affect 
orgasms. Uh, yes. And the reason why it does affect it is because the nerves on the other side of the prostate, the lateral nerves, that's, those nerves need to be in place in order for a man to get an erection. And often prostate surgery will damage those nerves and blood vessels. And it can also, it, what it also used to happen is that men would be surgically rendered impotent so what will also happen for some men is that they don't have the feeling of the ejaculation if they've had the prostate removed. They don't have as much flow. So that reduces their own pleasure and their own feeling of uh, enjoyment. And then for some other men with an intact prostate, they may experience pain at the point of ejaculation or immediately afterwards, and they may end up having prostatitis, which is an inflammation of the prostate gland. And, you know, BPH, benign prostatic hypertrophy, that occurs over age for the majority of men. And, you know, that is another thing. That, but these medical conditions are treatable. Prostatitis, the inflammation, and BPH is treatable. But what, what men have to really ask a physician about is they have to be really point-blank if they're dealing with prostate cancer or they've been diagnosed. My suggestion, make sure you get a second opinion. Thirdly, secondly, prostate cancer is a very slow cancer. So it didn't develop overnight. So do not be pushed and rushed into having to have surgery or radiation because once you have radiation, you've basically fried, frickin' fried everything down there. And so you typically you would have surgery first and then radiation on the next turnaround. But really what they will often do is keep men so scared that these men are like, oh, my God, I, I, I've got to do something right away. No, you don't. And what you need to do if you ever are dealing with prostate cancer, you need to become an incredibly informed consumer. And you need to look at all the treatments. And then you also need to look at why did you get cancer in the first place? Don't say that it's because of your genetics. Genes are like a light switch. You can turn them on and you can turn them off, okay? And so you may be making life choices with your diet or with whatever it is you may be doing that that may be the basis of it. And changing that is the thing that can change things for you. We're coming up to the tunes, coming back with more orgasm information when we come back from the break. Please stay with me. Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with your host, Lou Paget. Techniques and tips are her specialty. She delivers bite-sized chunks of information you can use right away that work. So stand by for more Sex Talk when we get back after these. This is Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet.com. Listen, something is brewing. The beautiful business evolution is coming. The way we do business is about to change for the better forever. This is real business at its very best. On Beautiful Business Radio, you will learn what it means to truly prosper, how to nourish yourself and your business, how to earn what you deserve and make a difference in the world. The tide is rising. The change is here. Discover a new way to live, love, and partner with yourself and your 
your business on Philippa Rollins Presents Beautiful Business Radio, where you matter and your business thrives every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Central Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled. And just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Welcome back to Sex Talk. Imagine having access to some of the best experts in the field of sexuality and sexual health so you can finally ask that question. Be it function, sensation, or something you've heard, this is the spot. It's Sex Talk with Lou on toginet.com. And now, back to your host, Lou Paget. Hello, everyone. So, and I have another thing where people will often ask, how does sex change, transsexual surgery, affect orgasms? And I'm going to be reading something that this is uh, Dr. Christine McGinn. She is a surgeon who is one of the few who performs this type of surgery. And I met Christine when she and I were both on the National Advisory Council with uh, former Surgeon General David Thatcher. And he put together a group of 13 people, uh, the majority of whom were MDs and PhDs. I was unique in that I was a sex educator, yet I was the one who had all of the, you know, the practical, this is how to do things, and that's why I got asked to be on this. But Christine is marvelous, and if you want to do a search for her, go to uh, Christine McGinn with Oprah Winfrey, and you will see Oprah say she's asking a question that she said, I've asked all kinds of questions, and I've made all kinds of statements, but I have never, ever made a statement like this where I'm introducing someone who is both the mother and the father of their children. Because Christine herself is uh, trans and underwent this after she came out of the uh, Navy. I believe she was Navy. And she is truly one of the most stunning women you will ever see. I mean, she's absolutely stunning. So this was, um, yeah... Dr. Christine McGinn, and it is, I just checked on, on Oprah, and uh, anyway, they, they had twins. So anyways, I'm going back to, this is the thing on, does it, you know, how does sex change with 
a gender confirming, which is a preferred term rather than gender reassignment. So trans men refers to persons who undergo female to male surgery and trans women to persons who undergo male to female surgery. So for trans women, the standard surgery is what they call penile inversion vaginoplasty, so vaginoplasty, vagina creation. And it reforms the main components of the penis into female proportions. So the glands, the penile glands, the cone, you know, the cone-shaped tip is surgically reduced in size and sutured into position as a sensitive clitoris. And the first women um, I knew to have this done, to have a trans woman surgery, <laughs> she was telling her friend, just before I got on the air actually, uh, one of her very good friends had called me. And I remember John relating to me that when he had asked her, uh, does everything work now? And she goes, oh my God, yes, it's fabulous. So, you know, it's they take the really sensitive tissue, make a sensitive clitoris, and although many of the nerve endings are removed during this step, orgasmic ability remains intact. So the testicles and the erect tissue of the penis are removed, and the penile skin is left with an intact blood and nerve supply and is used to create the labia, the clitoral hood, and the vaginal wall. Now, if any of you have ever watched any of the um, extreme... Uh, facial surgeries or facial makeovers. And, you know, there's one that I looked at last week on children having particularly um, ear uh, reductions. They, I mean, they can do remarkable things with suturing and getting tissue. That, And, again, there's not going to be a problem with the tissue because it's your own tissue. So once that, um, they've created the labia, clitoral hood, and vaginal wall, the vagina is created by surgically opening a space between the scrotum and the rectum and placing an inverted penile sex tube within this space. And the penile sex tube is further lengthened by using a skin graft from the scro- scrotum. So the newly formed vagina, it ends in a, in a, you know, blindly without a cervix and is located between the prostate and the rectum, which is you know, the prostate in trans women remains in place after surgery and is an important source for orgasm, much like the G-spot. So, <clears throat> because people refer to the, the G-spot as the female prostate, because for some women, the stimulation of it will cause um, uh, ejaculation. So, trans women frequently report a decrease in desire as well as a change in character of their orgasms, and that's because of the estrogenic hormone therapy. And women who also have undergone forms of uh, testosterone hormone therapy, they really do talk about a change in their desire and also a change in how how more driven they are to have sex as a result of the androgen, um, androgenic hormone therapy. So for trans men, there are two types of genital surgery. There's phalloplasty and met- metoidioplasty. Now, due to exclusion policies within the U.S. of uh, many insurance companies, the, the costly uh, phalloplasty is not routinely performed here in the U.S. Now, those things are changing, and that's also changing because of the work by some of the uh, 
one of the uh, PhDs who was part of the program in human sexuality uh, at University of Minnesota. I'm the chair of the leadership council, which means myself and I think there's 12 others of us are, we have sort of been tasked with raising money to support the uh, sexual health chair development at University of Minnesota. And we now have two endowed chairs there. One is the seated by Dr. Eli Coleman, who is the head of, uh, full professor there and head of program in human sexuality. And the other is the Dr. Joycelyn Elder's chair in sexual health education. And that scholar is Dr. Michael Ross. And we're still working on others. So uh, one of the women who is part of the program in human sexuality, she is responsible for speaking to insurance companies, to state legislators, <clears throat> to get this type of surgery as part of care and not something that's considered plastic surgery, but as something that is part of the full care for um, the uh, person who's wanting to undergo the um, sexual confirming surgery. So anyways, I, just to let you know that that, that that has changed. We are getting more, there are more companies that are agreeing to do it. So here's what happens for the uh, men, who for women who wish to uh, uh, trans, become a trans man. There are, <clears throat> there are many techniques for phalloplasty, and yet the basic method creates a penis from a, a flap of tissue from another area of the body, commonly the forearm, and that's, that's using microsurgery. Then a nerve within the flap is attached to the ilioinguinal nerve and the clitoral branch of the pudendal nerve. So, and that's allowing for sensation in the new phallus that's being created, the new penis. The clitoris is incorporated into the base of the new phallus flap. And the scrotum is created from the labia majora and prosthetic silicon testicles are inserted. Now, the scrotum getting created from the labia majora, if when, you know, all of us were being, you know, developed in utero, the four girls, the... But you know that little line down the middle of the scrotum? That is literally the fused lips of the labia majora, which if that little boy had been a girl, those would have been the labia. So it's kind of like bringing you back to, you know, the beginning of where you were. And <clears throat> in metoidioplasty, the clitoris is first enlarged by preparatory testosterone use. And in surgery it is released from its attached ligaments in order to add length. Then the urethra, which is the tube that carries urine from you know, the bladder out of the body, is extended and incorporated into the phallus. The dorsal nerves of the clitoris are left intact and the individual is able to urinate from the standing position. So trans men frequently report an increased desire as well as a change in character of, the, of their orgasm, again, because of the androgenic hormone therapy. 
And this may, and this actually, well, it, it obviously is related to the effects of hormone therapy on the frequency and quality of erectile tissue stimulation. However, they do state here that they think that more research needs to be done in this area. And, you know, so, but for anyone wanting to contemplate, you know, gender-confirming surgery, some people will do it, some people won't. It really depends on the person. And the other thing is that I do say thank you to Caitlyn Jenner and to... um, Chaz Bono, for being, you know, high-profile examples of this big, you know, this thing. And people saying, you know, what's with all of this current stuff going on and this trend of it? I don't, to me, it's not a trend. To me, it's more, we also have people being more honest and open about what their actual sexual orientation is or how they feel about sexuality. And in, for some people in their life, they never thought that they would be able to be married or to be parents. And for many, you know, men, whether they're straight, gay, or bi, they have an urge to be a parent. That's a normal urge. And I, well, I have friends of mine who have adopted, they're, they're thrilled out of their minds. So this is my first show of 2016. I trust you have enjoyed yourself. I trust there's been some interesting orgasmic information for you. And take care of your pleasure because you're the best one to know how to create it and you're the best one to know what is the pleasure for you. Pleasure and joy. Go forward. I look forward to speaking with you soon. Have a lovely rest of the week. for being a part of Sex Talk with Lou on TogiNet with host Lou Paget. Every week, this will be your chance to be a fly on the wall and learn about one of the most important parts of our health, our sexual health. Join Lou Paget. 